This is hard for us, especially in more of a Western, like, um, in a culture that doesn't have needs, right? And if you go to a lot of third world countries, there's much more of an understanding of the invisible dimension than we experience. And uh, I mean, I, Dan could tell you story after story of his time in Mexico and, and on and on. Some of you have been to places and, and done ministry work in places where you know this to be true. The book of Hebrews talks about faith in what we cannot see that there's this unseen world that you are seeking, that you and I need to seek to align ourselves with more and more. And people really, I would say this, the people who understand heaven in the right way are in touch with the significance of the, of the unseen all around them. That means scripture tells us that there is an invisible reality happening all around us all of the time. And then this invisible dimension happening all around us all the time, apprentices of Jesus, right, are invited to perceive it even though we don't see it with our eyes. So what Jesus is unpacking here in the Lord's Prayer is something a little bit more than just our Father who's somewhere in the future when we go and we die, He's saying, no, our father who is near, our father who is also not contained, and our father who is operating in, in, in the invisible dimension around us and, 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 and despite us, we are, we are giving you allegiance. Now, we're coming closer to why this matters. And I think this is really important for us because I want to make something really clear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that God is in creation, that God is somehow fused into the trees and the animals around us. Okay, I want to make that really clear. Um, God is not um, in creation. To say that God is in creation is to be a pantheist. And even though God is separate from his creation, he's not far from it. That's also what I want to say. On the other hand, but here's the thing. Unknowingly, some of us are what I would call functional deists. Meaning, a deist is someone who believes that God somehow, it's in, in how God operates is that he, he began, he started everything in motion as far as creation and that at some point he decided to back away. And that God is ultimately uh, what uh, you know, philosophers have called an absentee landlord. That God really doesn't have that much direct uh, contact with his creation or human beings. He's just, he's just started the whole thing moving. But Jesus is actually revealing here that God is intimately involved with us. That God wants to be intimately involved in our lives. So you've probably heard the phrase, maybe you've heard the phrase before, when God feels far, who moved? Okay? And that's a really dumb, like, unbiblical phrase. I just want to throw that out there. Like, if you have that bumper sticker on your car, like, rip it off. Okay? Because what that's basically saying is that 
that God really isn't involved in our lives, that God really isn't close, that God really isn't in control unless we let him, unless we have some say in that. We believe that God is near and he's far, that God is existing in an invisible dimension all around us. It's like saying, well, we'll get to that here in a little bit. Finding ourselves, here's the thing, finding ourselves in two extremes. On one hand, we would say, okay, we could say, oh, God's like, like just infused in creation. And so I'm just going to go out into creation and pray to this rock or this tree because God is in it. Um, that's one extreme. And the other extreme is like this functional deist extreme that says that God is disconnected. He's uninvolved. He ultimately doesn't care. And we're kind of on our own. Scripture tells us that God is intimately involved in our world. And we think that the earth is here and now and that heaven is sometime in the future. But earth and heaven are right close, according to Scripture. And this is like kind of the big news flash for some of us. According to Scripture, heaven is not some place where you will spend eternity. Because if you look and see how the story ends in Revelation 21 and 22, what you'll find, it's not about harps and clouds and a never-ending worship service, like church service. Like, think of the best concert you've ever been to. And some of you, that might have been last night. But think of the best concert you've ever been to. Like, could you imagine being at that concert forever and ever and ever Maybe you could. I don't know. Maybe you could roll with Garth all night, like <laughs> for eternity. Maybe you can't. I don't know. But think about the greatest concert you've ever been to. Like even that would get kind of old. What scripture is telling us in Revelation 21 and 22 is that God begins with a story of people on earth in Genesis and, and, and they have this immediate and direct access to God. And it ends the same way, that in the end, we will have immediate and direct access to God. And we will have new bodies and we'll be doing very human things. We'll do it on a recreated earth. And it just happens that what scripture calls heaven is like that first leg on the round trip. And so this is significant because earth and heaven are closer than our imaginations really understand, closer than we perceive them to be. So when we pray, when we pray, our Father in the heavens, what we are saying is this. We're saying something about here and now as much as we're saying about something that's there and then. So this kind of destroys that whole compartmentalized thing we do in our life about our life and God and our life and our relationship with God. It kind of, it kind of destroys that. Because in Matthew 4, listen to this, Matthew four seventeen, it says this, From that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. Think about what that would have meant, okay, if you were Jewish, now, this is really important. The invisible dimension of reality, the place where God dwells, the place where the expression of God's rulership and his sovereignty over everything has now made a physical appearance in the person of Jesus. 
That's what's being said here. And so the, Jesus says, therefore, repent. And we think of that word as like this, like shameful, guilty. No, repent means to reorder and restructure your life around that. Around the rule and the reign and the governance of God in your life. Because the kingdom of heaven has come near to reorder and restructure your whole life around that. So too often the messages of churches has been about getting into heaven. And some of you have grown up with that kind of idea in your life um, about getting into heaven, a ticket to heaven. Uh, What Jesus says instead is that the kingdom of heaven is drawing near right now. And that actually does something to us right now. Dallas Willard actually talked about this in one of his books. He actually, and, and guys, I just, newsflash, there's no quotes today. So if that bums you out, there's no quotes, hasn't been a quote. I know I'm off my game, but Dallas Willard talks about this in one of his books. He talks about that phrase, what happens to, if you were to die tonight? You know, that classic evangelistic lead in, um, Some of you know, I I, I roll around with uh, police officers as a chaplain. 13, 14 years ago in the city of Arvada, there was a chaplaincy program. And a couple of the chaplains, without having a relationship with any of the officers, would jump into a car with an officer and lead with this question. The question is, what happens if you were to die tonight? Do you know where you would go? And it just became really difficult to have a relationship after that. In fact, they like shut down the chaplaincy program because of that. And it's like, and and Dallas Willard says, it's like Jesus only has relevance for us someday in the future. Like the only part of that phrase that really matters is in the future. And Dallas Willard actually throws out, I think, a far better question. Like, what happens if you live tonight? What happens tomorrow? What what effect does Jesus have to say? What does Jesus have to say, if anything, about that, about your life tonight or tomorrow? See, heaven's coming near in the person of Jesus is the most radical and revolutionary thing this world has ever seen. And Jesus is actually inviting us to pray a prayer that actually puts us, puts us in the understanding that the heavens are close. So when we pray this prayer, it's not about getting people into heaven. It's about the rulership of God coming to earth. And when we say our father in heaven, here's what we're saying. We're saying our father in heaven who is near and close and accessible and concerned with the intimate details of our lives. And we don't have to pretend in front of that father. And what we're saying is our father in heaven who cannot be contained, who cannot be contained in a list, who is deeper and wider and bigger than anything we could ever imagine, who cannot be manipulated, who cannot be controlled. And we, we pray those two things at the same time, intention. And the only response, and sometimes is really silence, face down. That we have this access to God in this way, holding both of these things in tension. He is as close as the air we breathe and breathe, and yet the universe cannot contain him. According to scripture. And we carry both of those things before us. But here's the piece that falls squarely on our shoulders. When we pray this prayer, we're actually saying that we are a people 
who identify with the reign and the rulership of God here and now. We can't just say our father in heaven, um, you know, and let me just say this before when I, when I would pray this, recite this prayer as a young kid in a very liturgical church, before I used to pray this prayer and I used to think, okay, God, everything's screwed up down here. Now come do something about it. Okay. Come do something about it. And, 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 and really what this prayer is saying is it's actually offering ourselves to be part of the solution. So what we say when we pray, a lot of times we think when we pray, we're trying to get stuff. We're trying to get God to do something, to show up in a supernatural way. No, when we pray, it's to become the kind of people that embody the reality of on earth as is happening in heaven. That's what prayer does. Ultimately, what we think is most of our job is to to pray is to convince God to change God's mind. No, no, no. We're actually praying to have God change ours. To realign realign our loves and our longings into his loves and his longings. And it's actually not asking God for anything. It's actually declaring my availability. He delights for some reason, God delights in using human partners and participants. I don't know why. I look in the mirror every day, I'm like, what are you doing? Using me. Hearts are open. Like, the, like when we have our hearts open to the work of the kingdom, when we allow ourselves to become instruments of the Holy Spirit. Here's another Christian phrase I hate. God time. Like this idea, like I'm going to go have some God time. Well, when you understand the fact that, that God is as close as the air up against our skin, like, what are you saying? Like, like it's like saying, I'm going to go have some air time. I'm going to, I'm going to go have some air time now. Just me in the air. Right? Like God is intimately close and involved in our lives. And, and what we thought, what we, what we say when we're saying God time is, I get it. We're saying, I'm doing some prayer. I'm going to have some prayer and some Bible time or whatever, like that kind of thing. But ultimately, we actually are having God time in everything we do. And in every, I mean, mowing your lawn and driving the kids to school. And these are all time, this can be time with God. And the, the last illustration I'm going to do today is, uh, I'm king of overmaking the point. You've heard of this phrase, and it comes from Paul. It's, he talks about our citizenship being in heaven. And, and that's also a plural noun. Our citizenship is in the heavens. Roman citizenship was a really interesting thing. It was like the highest ideal. So you wanted to be a Roman citizen. You craved to be a Roman citizen. People, you fought for Caesar. If you fought in the Roman army, most of the soldiers in the Roman army were not citizens. And many of their, 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 their yearning was to become citizens and achieve a certain rank to therefore be granted citizenship. Paul writes a letter 
to a little church in the colony of Philippi. And Philippi is a colony of Rome. So it wasn't a city like Ephesus. Ephesus was its own city. Philippi was a colony. And what that meant was, is Philippi was actually a colony of citizens of Rome. See, Rome had become so overcrowded, so big, so uh, stressed with people that they began to send people to colonize different parts of Rome with their citizenship. So what they would do with retired Roman legionnaires and retired Roman fighting soldiers is they would grant them land and citizenship in colonies around the Roman Empire. And the whole goal is brilliant by Caesar. The whole goal was to have people declaring the goodness of your rule and your reign all over your empire. And that was the goal of citizenship, and that was the goal of these colonies all over Rome. You wanted to have people in every place who could communicate how good it was to have Caesar as Lord. People who loved your rule. Philippians 3, Paul says this, join together in following my examples, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many of you live, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and their glory is in their, dis, in their shame. Their, their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. We eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. So when we pray our father in the heavens, we're ultimately praying. We're praying that every other way that we could be identified becomes secondary to our first citizenship. Many of us are American citizens. And we messed around with this earlier this, seat, this year. And we talked about empire. Being an American citizen is far a secondary thing for you and I who follow Jesus. And it's a very difficult thing for us, right? I'm not saying revolt. I'm not saying, I'm not saying any of those things. I'm not saying don't vote. I'm not saying any of those things. I'm saying as you progress in your apprenticeship to Jesus, everything else that you identify as becomes a far distant second, third, fourth, fifth. Whatever your ethnic tribe is. As you identify more with Jesus, becomes more of a secondary thing in your life. Your political affiliation, your church, you know, whatever you, you know, bumper sticker you have in your car, if you're a bumper sticker church person. We are a colony of people who show the rest of the world the goodness of Jesus as Lord. And we demonstrate how good the reign and the rule of Jesus is on earth. We're signposts. We're foretastes, we're appetizers, we are a colony of a different king.
And so when we pray our father in heaven, what we're saying is our father who is close, our father who is not contained, our father who is intimately concerned with the details of our lives. And we're also saying we are apart. That's what we're saying. And so this morning, I'm gonna just close this in prayer and then Dan's gonna come and send us out. But I wanna encourage you, if you need prayer this morning, um, wouldn't it be great, right? To practice and pray with people around you. And so there's no more music, there's no more worship through song at this point and you'll be free to go. But maybe you could use the opportunity to pray with somebody and we'll have people all around the room, leaders and, and our prayer team, if you're here, um, like Elliot said, and, and our staff, if you would like to pray with somebody, if there's something in your life that you wanna experience the fact that God is intimately concerned with the details of your life this morning, then I encourage you to do that, all right? Let me pray. God, thank you. Thank you for your son teaching us how to pray. And ultimately, because of what Jesus has done for us to making a way for us to have a relationship with you. The God who cannot be contained. And yet, God, you are so relentless and so in love with us that you are so close is the air we breathe. May we be the kind of people that live in such a way that your kingdom is shown. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.